The bright lights of Broadway are dark. The show, indeed, will not go on as New York City and the rest of the world deals with the fallout from the current health crisis known as the coronavirus. Van Dien is an award-winning Broadway producer. His latest project, Jagged Little Pill, is inspired by Alanis Morissette's Grammy Award-winning album. Jagged Little Pill debuted on Broadway in December, but now the musical, like all Broadway performances, has been shut down by the coronavirus. Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Van is our guest for this episode of the Cuse Conversations podcast. A 1996 Newhouse graduate, Van discusses the path he took to Broadway, how his love for theater helped him found a Grammy-winning company, and how the classes he took at Syracuse served as a roadmap for his successful career. Van, I didn't build you up too much with that introduction, did I? (laughs) Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I think, you know, definitely uh, accurate about the things that, uh, you know, led me where to where I am. Yeah, you've had a fascinating career path. And right now, before we kind of dig a little deeper into your journey, uh, as everyone knows who's listening to this podcast, these are uncertain times. These are uncharted times in American history. And uh, all walks of life have been affected by this pandemic. And of course, you know, Van, you being on Broadway, you guys were not immune uh, to the effects of having shutdowns for performances and large gatherings, you know, being closed down due to the health risks. How um, how are you holding up right now, given the fact that Broadway has gone dark? Well, it's it's a challenge because, uh, of course, uh, our career path uh, that, you know, so many have dedicated their lives to uh, really can't exist in its normal form right now because of the fact that it's based on crowds. Um, many of us are trying to, uh, you know, be creative and plan for the future while we're uh, sequestered at home because uh, New Jersey and Connecticut and New York are all in a you know a lockdown mode uh, in terms of you know only being able to leave for uh, essential services. So we're all trying to just find our path through that. And and I guess one of the most difficult parts is nobody really knows how long this will last. So it's difficult to make precise plans on how to bring Broadway back and when uh, when you don't know exactly when that will be. Um, so I know that's a challenge, and we're trying to make sure that. Uh, you know, everybody uh, has a means to uh, support themselves. In the meantime, uh, you know, the various uh, uh, unions and organizations on Broadway have collaborated together to make sure that, you know, people are taken care of. There's various charitable organizations like the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity Fights Aids that are doing uh, everything they can to make sure that uh, all of the people who work on Broadway have a resource to go to if they fall on hard times because uh, the paychecks are, are you know, ceasing, uh, you know, over time. Um, there have been some deals struck to make sure that everybody does receive uh, some sort of pay during the first part of this, but uh, we don't know how long it'll last and what that will mean economically for everyone. At what point, Van, did you realize and the rest of your you know, Broadway uh, colleagues realize that this was really something that was going to be, you know, life altering and was going to put because for a while it was it was slow moving where it started off where people, you know, I know, for example, with the sports world, you know, games were still being held. Uh, teams were still getting together. They maybe removed fans from the equation, but they were still trying to find a way 
to get the games um, out there and, and being played for, for the fans and for the leagues. Uh, obviously, now things have changed quite differently. At what point did you start to realize that this was really going to be something you know, life-altering? Well, I, I was actually uh, flying back from L.A. Uh, for a series of meetings uh, and in the air with Wi-Fi uh, because I didn't want to miss uh, anything that was happening. And that was when uh, Broadway officially shut down uh, based on the order from the city and the state. Um, so that was certainly the time when we realized uh, the, you know, the gravity of the impact. Um, I think leading up to that, we knew it was coming, though. It was only a matter of when. Uh, there were steps taken before that, like no backstage uh, visits and no stage door signings, which, you know, is a, a strong tradition of Broadway, but was unfortunately the first thing to, to go and, and rightfully so given what was happening. But it very quickly moved to a complete shutdown uh, for everybody's safety. And, you know, the, as a point of comparison, after 9-11, Broadway shut down for two days. Uh, it's already been much more than that and, you know, will be continue to be uh, much longer than that. Um, so it's really unprecedented. Uh, you know, nobody knows exactly what it'll look like when it comes back. Um, because even on the day that, you know, the lights turn on again, uh, there's still a matter of everybody's been displaced by this in terms of their economic uh, status. Everybody's been affected. So will people be able to, you know, go to the theater uh, immediately once it opens up? You know, we don't know. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, everybody has, you know, their priorities that they need to deal with, you know, in their own lives, given what's happening. So, it's a it's a challenge, I think, for the industry just to uh, to find its way back into it um, and what that's going to mean. And there's already you know two shows that have announced that they won't be coming back, and um, it's definitely going to have a long term impact, I think, uh, for at least some shows. And you know, it's going to take a, a bit of time to get back to where it was. What have you been able to do, Van, uh, as you mentioned earlier, to try to plan for the future as, as best you can, given the fact that the future is so uncertain and so murky at this current juncture? Uh, well, I think, you know, certainly within my core day job, which is, uh, you know, uh, running Broadway records, um, while it has some impact, it's less fair because a lot of what we do is virtual with, uh, you know, iTunes and Spotify, et cetera. Um, so we are able to continue that. There has to be, you know, some adjustments with our release schedule and how we're going about it and when we can go into the studio because we certainly can't go into the studio right now. Um, so some things are being pushed back, but uh, for the most part, we're able to still continue with releases that were planned, you know, that were already finished. And, you know, depending on how long this lasts, it can have an impact on future releases. But um, so in that side of things, uh, you know, it slows things down a little bit, but um, still, still moving ahead and trying to come up with other, uh, you know, creative solutions on how to, give artists an outlet during this time. You know, we're working on a couple of initiatives, which I can't announce yet, but um, that will help artists, uh, you know, be able to, you know, get their work out there and, and, and get a paycheck and, you know, try to help the industry in any way that we can. You know, it always amazes me just from an outsider perspective, how, you know, we as Americans can be so focused on our own internal lives and our day-to-day, you know, rituals. But then when there's a time of crisis like this, we really do seem proficient at coming together and rallying for the greater good. You mentioned some of the efforts from Broadway um, and from your, your, your colleagues. How have you seen this industry, again, come together for the greater good to make sure that, you know, people have as much as they, you know, can have when it comes to resources and so that people aren't left floundering in the dark during these, again, really scary times? Well, uh, there's been a number of events, actually, that have been, have been virtual um, in the last week and a half or so. 
um, you know, Seth Rodesky and James Wesley had started a, a twice daily uh, uh, talk show um, called Stars in the House, and they've had all kinds of major Broadway stars uh, take part in that, and also uh, medical experts uh, weighing in to give advice, uh, you know, mixed in with that so that it's both entertaining and informative. Um, and they've been, you know, raising money for the Actors Fund with that. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell did a three and a half hour uh, talk show on Sunday night uh, with uh, over 50 Broadway stars who all took part from their homes and, you know, sang songs, told stories, talked about, you know, just were interviewed, et cetera. And, and that raised over $600,000 for the Actors Fund. And despite the fact that it's called the Actors Fund, it actually helps all creative professionals in theater, not just actors, although there are plenty of uh, actors in, you know, in various walks of life uh, throughout the country who, who do need to help. But there's other theater professionals too, everyone from, you know, uh, uh, dressers uh, to uh, stage managers to, uh, um, you know, stagehands, et cetera. There's you know, a large uh, swath of of the profession that aren't getting paychecks right now um, that that need help in you know be, meeting basic uh, necessities. So there are uh, charities like the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity, Tights Aids that are stepping up the efforts. Uh, in the case of Broadway Cares, they have initiatives to raise a million dollars that's being matched by a group of producers um, that are also raising you know matching funds. So that's a couple million you know right there that's also being raised to help those who are less fortunate and struggling in this you know situation. Well, it's really inspiring, Van, to hear the fact that, again, people from all different walks of life in this industry are coming together and trying to, you know, do the best they can uh, to, to help provide for people that, you know, might be in need. And, and it's really been uplifting, uh, uplifting to watch, you know, the, the videos that are getting posted by the different celebrities and stars on Instagram and on Twitter. And I love to just see the engagement in a digital platform uh, that, you know, people on Broadway are taking to still kind of connect you know, with their core audience, because, you know, hopefully at some point this does, um, you know, get better, we get back on track and Broadway goes from being dark to being the vibrant community that it has always been. And people have been so passionate supporters of going to the shows. And I know that um, I want to take a little trip down memory lane with you, Van, uh, to make the segue from current events to a little bit of, uh, of orange history. Uh, we mentioned earlier that you were a 1996 alumnus of Newhouse. What drew you to Syracuse University in the first place? Well, it, it was interesting because it was actually, uh, even though I visited a number of schools, it's the only one I applied to because I just got a feeling when I stepped on campus that it was the right place for me. And it, a lot of it had to do with you know, the logical aspects about what it had to offer, but it was also a feeling that I had. Um, you know, it felt like home. And uh, you know, at that time, I'd never been away from home and stepping onto campus as a freshman uh, you know, I, uh, immediately felt at home and didn't actually even call my family for about a week because I was so immersed in everything that was there. And again, it was my first time ever, you know, sleeping away from home. So it was, a, you know, it should have been a major adjustment, but it happened immediately. It just felt right. And, uh, you know, leading up to that, it was just the combination of things that they had to offer. You know, my major was a new house, um, in producing for electronic media, which was primarily, uh, producing for TV and film, um, but at the same time, it had so many other things to meet all my other interests in uh, music and graphic design and theater and music industry and, and business and, and more. So uh, it just, in one place, had really everything that I was looking for. And I had heard from people who had gone there who uh, were there before me that even though it's a medium to large size university, uh, you never felt like a number there. And I never did. Um, 
so I, you know, I always knew my uh, professors and I always felt like I mattered. And, you know, it was, it was amazing that you had the advantages of a, a larger institution with all the advantages of a smaller one. Um, you know, and I thought that was a rare combination that I was quite attracted to. Take me a little more in depth, Van, if you could, into some of those first experiences that led you to feel like Syracuse University was home for you. I know we get that all the time. Um, I'm a 2003 alumnus myself, and I remember the first time I walked on campus and you get that awestruck feeling. You know, you're walking through the picture perfect quad, you're seeing, you know, the campus at its finest, it's vibrant, it's electric, you know, and you get in there and you get to meet your faculty and you make your friends. And, you know, it really left a memorable impression on me. And obviously it seems like it did the same thing, you know, for you too. What were some of those experiences at the get-go that really made you feel like Syracuse was home? Well, I remember when I was uh, in high school visiting schools that um, I had a friend uh, who graduated a year before me from my high school that, uh, you know, took me around and let me, uh, Experience what it was like. I even sat in on a class uh, in Newhouse. Uh, it was actually Com 107, which was like the intro class for Newhouse that everybody takes. And I remember just sitting in that room and, you know, experiencing what a class was like there. And it, it felt uh, so invigorating to see what it was like at that level, you know, because going from high school to college, of course, can be a big adjustment. But to see what the world, you know, was, you know, was opening up for me once I went there. Um, you know, was was pretty magical. And as I mentioned, just knowing all the things that I could do uh, there, all all the variety of courses I could take and organizations I could join, and uh, really knew that anything that intrigued me or I had an interest in, I would be able to uh, to explore when I was there. And you came onto the campus for the first time, and you were enrolling in your classes. Obviously, you mentioned carving your own educational path, but what kind of, what kind of occupational goal did you have? What did you want to set out to do? Uh, well, when I came in, I had uh, actually been a production assistant on a TV show uh, for CBS. It was called Wish You Were Here. I only had six episodes, um, but I did that the summer of my junior year in high school. Um, I actually started in the audio studio and um, transitioned into being a PA on the, on the TV show that they were doing audio for and just loved every minute of that experience. And, um, one of the producers of that show was actually a Syracuse uh, Newhouse alum. So I know he was probably one of the first to uh, mention it to me that it's something I should look at or take, you know, consider seriously. Um, but at that time it was to, you know, be in, involved in writing and producing for TV and film. And, uh, that was my initial path. Uh, ultimately, I'm actually back in that world now a bit and getting involved in TV and film, but uh, kind of took a circuitous route through theater, uh, which was always a strong interest. And I was writing for theater at the time. So it, it supported, you know, all the aspects of what I was uh, interested in. But that's that's where the uh, variety of things at Syracuse came into play, because I took musical theater courses and I took uh, uh, over 80 credits in the music program, even though I wasn't technically a music major, but I was able to carve my own uh, program. And so I was really able to deeply explore all the things that I was passionate about and all, you know, all those elements led to where I am, you know, now in my career, you know, down to the fact that I took one graphic design course in Newhouse and I ended up designing over 50 albums for my label before I hired somebody else to take that on because it was growing too fast and I couldn't couldn't do that while still running the company after a period of time. But just those, you know, even one course in that uh, gave me the confidence to be able to explore graphic design in a way that I ended up doing that as a subset of my profession. And, uh, you know, I took uh, 
entrepreneurial classes, which came in handy for starting my own company, which I've done several times in my career. And, uh, you know, the music classes certainly, uh, and audio classes led to the side of starting a record label, music industry, learning all about how, uh, music industry works with publishing and licensing and, um, you know, all mechanical royalties and everything that relates to being able to run a label. And so there's just so many ways to trace every nuance of what I ended up doing to some class that I took at Syracuse or some organization I belong to. Yeah, it's awesome to hear that, Van. And I loved, I mentioned during the off-air part of the interview, but I love the article in Forbes where it basically talks about how you turned your love for theater into a Grammy-winning company and you've done so many great accomplishments on Broadway. And it's great to hear you give credit to Syracuse for molding you you know, into this innovative and entrepreneurial person that you are today because your resume really is you know, so vast and so diverse. How, um, how did you come to be so interested in, in Broadway and in music and in productions? Where did that love uh, first originate? Oh, well, there's a few places, you know, it was a, it was a path, but my older sister originally, uh, you know, connected me to theater and gave me some albums to listen to. Uh, some of the first were like Les Miserables and uh, Evita, uh, Phantom of the Opera. So those were some of the first that I encountered. And then I quickly uh, actually uh, went much deeper than even her own collection and started going to library and, and buying uh, albums when, when I could um, and really exploring. And when I was in Syracuse, uh, I actually wrote a musical as my senior thesis in the honors program and had a mentor in the uh, musical theater program, uh, John Francesina, who uh one of my favorite professors and ha- really had an incredible impact on my life. But uh, one of the first things we mutually agreed to is before I wrote a word of the musical is I spent six months doing background research and both on musical theater and on, on the topic that I was writing about. And he gave me a list of a hundred musicals that he felt were um, integral to musical theater history. So I listened to every one of them. A few of them were pretty hard to find, but at the Syracuse school library, I found, I think pretty much all of them uh, and just listened to score after score. And, and, you know, that started my interest in buying uh, biographies on, various major musical theater writers. So I read about every musical theater writing team that really graced uh, the stage throughout the last century. And I always felt from my perspective, and this is advice I give to younger professionals is having a deep love and understanding of the history of musical theater to me is important because not only does it give you a sense of where your place is and all that, but also when you're networking and talking to other people in, in the industry, you want to know what they're talking about. If they bring up something, I, I find it really helpful to be able to engage in that conversation and contribute to it. And with the uh, many dozens or even hundreds of books that I've read on the topic and on different biographies and periods of musical theater history and et cetera, uh, it definitely has put me in a place where I can, can hold my own in any conversation on that um, because of that background, which it all started at Syracuse because I was, I was given that respect for you know, understanding the craft before you try to engage in it yourself. Speaking of an appreciation and a love for musical theater history, when you were on the Syracuse University campus, um, you were able, you had the honor of rewriting the boys from Syracuse as an honor to commemorate Syracuse University's 125th anniversary in 1995. How special of a moment was that for you, Van? Because these milestones, our sesquicentennial here in 2020, the 125th anniversary in 1995, these are milestones that are going to stand the test of time. And to get to play a role in that, in in rewriting The Boys from Syracuse, what kind of honor was that? 
Uh, first of all, it, I mean, it was, it was, um, something that I was just so thrilled to have the opportunity to do. And, um, I can step back a moment and let you know kind of how that came to be. But, um, it's actually, there's a song called Dear Old Syracuse, which is from the musical, uh, The Boys from Syracuse, which is based on Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors. And, uh, you know, Richard Rogers and Lawrence Hart, uh, wrote this, wrote the score. And I remember hearing, uh, Dear Old Syracuse for the first time. Uh, and it actually was when I had an internship at Angel Records, um, I believe the year before, uh, because even though I wasn't paid for the internship, I was given a, a bunch of albums, uh, in this case, cassettes and a few and CDs. Um, and that was one of them. And I really came to love that score and, and appreciate it. And that song always resonated. And it immediately occurred to me, well, that could be rewritten to be about Syracuse University. And so I actually approached uh, the organizations, you know, putting on uh, the 125th a year later, uh, that would be putting on a year later, and said, I have this idea uh, to rewrite the song and to have that be a part of the celebration. And I wrote a whole proposal about what I planned to do and included uh, uh, lyrics from the song. And uh, they accepted the proposal and, and gave me uh, the support to, to move ahead with it. So I ended up contacting the estates of Richard Rogers and Lawrence Hart, getting permission to do it. And I was told I was actually the first one in history to have permission to rewrite Lawrence Hart's lyrics because uh, he's a genius, or it was a genius because he passed away long ago. But um, so it's not something that the state normally allows. But because of the event it was for, and they felt that the lyrics were very much in the spirit of, you know, of his writing, and that it was, you know, for one one-time event for a special purpose, that they gave me the, their blessing. And so that was a tremendous honor. It was really one of the first times I had interaction with uh, the professional community at that level. Um, you know, m now, you know, much more immersed in it, but back then it was really my first encounter. So that was a, an incredible experience to do that. And, uh, you know, Dick Clark had hosted the event in the Carrier Dome, and uh, it was one of the great honors of my life at that time to have him introduce the song and introduce me uh, when it was when it was performed uh, live in the in the dome for the celebration, and I, I still, uh, you know, I have a picture with me with Dick Clark, and I have a letter that he wrote me when I sent him the lyrics uh, to his home uh, to, you know, thank him um, for being a part of it, and he wrote me uh, back a nice letter because he had told me at the event that he's been mentioned in a few songs in his life, and it was always a great honor when that happened because he is in the lyrics uh, that I wrote. Uh, being one of our most famous alum, and so it was just all around an incredible experience, and one one of the highlights of of my uh, time at Syracuse. It's an amazing, it's an amazing anecdote, Van. I I love to hear it because I and thank you for clarifying too with it uh, being dear old Syracuse that was rewritten for the 125th anniversary, and and such a cool just just to visualize you getting you know your hands dirty with the history of these performances and reaching out and and and, and trying to interweave your respect for musical theater history and your love for Syracuse. How can you try to describe for us, you know, what sentiments you wanted to express and convey when you sat down to actually rewrite the song, dear old Syracuse? Well, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I was writing in the nineties, you know, the carrier dome had been around for a bit, but I was trying to write it from the perspective of most of the people who would be coming to the event, which were mostly alums who were there when Archibald stadium was there um, before the dome. And, so I took it as kind of a history of, you know, almost like the all-knowing alum who had been there almost throughout the history. And so the song, earlier in the song, it says it started with some rented space and buildings sprouted every place. You know, that's one of many uh, 
uh, segments of the song, but, you know, I kind of gave the history from the very beginning and, you know, the Dick Clark portion uh, went, uh, if I can remember it, um, my old college rock band had a dream to go to perform for Dick Clark on his bandstand show. Uh, we had to practice each night at the old Syracuse. So there was, you know, verse after verse of different segments of history and talking about Archibald Stadium. In that piece, it was uh, um, with the grand teams led by number 44 in Archibald Stadium. They couldn't help but score. I want I uh, want to go back to cheer for dear old Syracuse. So it was really just kind of the perspective of almost like the all-knowing alum who had been there at every period and just, you know, kind of awash in nostalgia for uh, for the history of it. But but primarily trying to make it for the people who would be there, um, you know, who, who would remember some of the elements of, you know, when obviously when American Bandstand was on TV and when Archibald Stadium was uh, the place that everybody went to watch uh you know, and cheer for the sports teams, et cetera. It's really a treat, Van, to hear you do that uh, live reading of of the sh- of the song, and especially as we sit here today recording this podcast on Syracuse's sesquicentennial, its 150th birthday. It was really appropriate to to hear you and the emotion that that kind of came out, you know, during that song. That was an awesome performance, and I appreciate you sharing uh, your your insights into the process that led to that song, you know, being rewritten and the, taking us back to the historical day. Um, on the dome floor when we really got a chance to celebrate our 125th. Um, I, I want to try to try to transition a little bit, Van, from your work as a student. How did you go from being such a, an entrepreneur and such a lover of of music and, and performances? How did you transition from that to actually make your name on Broadway as a Grammy and a Tony Award winning producer? Well, it was a, it was a circuitous journey in the sense that um, I actually started a uh, a company uh, related to software and, and web programming and, and all that right after school because um, I was self-taught as a programmer, but I also did take a course at Syracuse and was laying the foundation from my dorm room about how I was going to build that company because um, at the time, you know, I was looking to make a living and, you know, to be able to support my interest in writing because at that time it was more focused on the writing than the production side. So I was writing as I was starting, uh, you know, a maybe a more uh, practical, for lack of a better term, you know, type of career of programming, because uh, I knew that at that time that there was a real need for that. And I guess there's, there still is, of course. But um, so that was something that I did for quite some time while I was trying to get established as a writer. Uh, then an opportunity came along a bit later in 2005 uh, through another fellow Syracuse alum, actually, who was a uh, an independent producer working on, you know, commercials and uh, other types of uh, industrials and projects like that, who said, oh, we should uh, look into this off-Broadway show that they're looking for uh, investors. And my, you know, her understanding was that if we got involved, that we could uh, become a fly on the wall and learn the process of producing a show. So we did that. We put in, you know, a modest amount uh, to be like a a low-level investor in this off-Broadway musical. And with the idea that we would be flies on the wall and be able to learn from it, which was a generous offer from the producers. Um, however, uh, that very weekend after we wrote the, the small check, uh, I was at a barbecue and, you know, I encountered some other uh, young producers who were producing at the New York Musical Theater Festival. And they had heard that I was involved with this off-Broadway musical. And so we're talking about it. And they invited me to become a producer on the show that they were doing. Um, in the festival uh, called the Mr. Cycle. And it sounded really intriguing. And I thought, well, even better than being a fly on the wall is actually doing it um, because I always believed in learn by doing. 
And so immediately I joined that team and became so busy on that project that I didn't have time to actually be the fly on the wall that I had signed up for just a few days earlier, but learned so much by actually producing a show because even at a festival level, all the principles are the same as Broadway. It's just in a smaller, maybe less expensive, uh, you know, less people involved, but then you're wearing more hats. So you really learn a lot by doing that. So that was my first uh, professional connection to the producing side of things. And my, so, well, if I learn about producing shows, it'll help me with my writing because it is really hard as a writer to get out there. And uh, I thought that was, you know, my best path in, but interestingly uh, I became so busy with producing and so many opportunities came my way and so many paths that I took that, um, sounded interesting that I didn't end up having much time to write anymore because I became so involved in producing. And for me, it was a good path because I've been involved in hundreds of projects since uh, 2005 that I've been able to put my stamp on and have a real impact on the industry. Whereas as a writer, even if I was very successful, I'd be lucky to have a couple projects in that time period that were produced. So for me, it, it made sense to uh, to do that because I was able to have such an impact uh, in so many areas, uh, everything from music to, to theater to film and documentaries and different projects that I'm, you know, been involving myself in uh, charitable endeavors, um, which I've done quite a few uh, using my background in producing and my contacts to, to help in a number of causes. So all those things have been possible because of taking that little bit of a left turn and also, again, using utilizing what I learned back in Syracuse on the, the industry side of things and the creative side and producing side. So it all kind of informed where I where I went with my career. Your resume, Van, it's 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 so impressive. It's it's littered with hits. You know, Anastasia, uh, Cinderella, you know, Matilda, Evita. There's so many great performances that you you've you've been involved with. You know, even one of my personal favorites from you know back in my very brief and inauspicious uh, theater days of your good man Charlie Brown. I mean, I love just to see the diversity of of hits and performances that you've worked on. Is there one that stands out to you that was really you, you just stood back and had to pinch yourself by the fact that you actually were working maybe with a different, a certain cast member or putting together, you know, one of the performances for one of the shows. What really stands out to you as a, as that show where it was like, I've really made it on Broadway. Um, well, I've been so fortunate to do so many shows that would probably qualify for that. But uh, I mean, Matilda was definitely, uh, you know, a seminal experience. And I first saw it in London and met with the producers there and said, I want to be a part of bringing it to New York. And, uh, being involved with, with that show and then producing the album uh, working with everybody on that and getting to, to know the young actors who are in it and uh, help, you know, shape their experience that they had with it, especially on the album side, you know, when it was nominated for a Grammy, um, I made sure that all of the, uh, you know, young Matildas who were nominated also got to have the full experience in, in Los Angeles, the full Grammy experience. So we raised the money to make sure that they could make the trip and we, planned all kinds of uh, fun events for them to do while they were there, including studio tours, et cetera, and try to make it a really special experience. Um, so knowing that we're, you know, that myself and my company were a part of their memory that they'll have, you know, for the rest of their lives about what they did with the show and, you know, is really meaningful to me. And also being a part of Anastasia, I was one of the first producers to sign on for that. And, um, you know, loved the movie uh, in 97, the animated movie, which the show is quite a bit different, although it does use a uh, half dozen songs from it. But to be a part of that experience and to work with, you know, Aaron's and Flaherty on that, who are among my idols, who I'm 
working with, you know, still to this day, we've done quite a few projects together, but to be able to call them, you know, colleagues is one of the great honors of, of my life. And uh, just to work with people that I admired and studied back in school, going back to that list of uh, musicals that, uh, you know, my professor had given to me, uh, John Kander had several musicals on that list and I've now worked with him on three projects and uh, consider him a, a friend and, you know, an esteemed colleague that I'm, you know, honored to be able to uh, work with. And, uh, you know, we did the visit together and um, among other projects. And it's just, you know, to be able to have those moments, to be able to work with the people that I've looked up to and studied when I was younger is a series of pinch me moments that I try to make sure that I take time to appreciate that as it happens, because you get so caught up in the minutia of what it takes to put on these projects and to manage them that it would be very easy to forget how you know blessed and fortunate I am to be able to work with uh, such talented array of people that you know it's it's just something that I have to remind myself you know to to remember to take a moment and take stock in that it's it's really refreshing van to hear your perspective and and your humility despite all of your successes. I know that your your career, uh, you've had 13 shows you've produced on Broadway. There's several more that are coming down the pike. Um, you also, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, co-founding Broadway Records. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of insight into the thought process behind that venture and really why you wanted to get involved in recording and releasing these albums, you know, for, for history's sake that are containing these terrific performances uh, from successful Broadway shows. Well, it was, Something that I thought about for a while, um, because I produced a couple albums before I started the label, including How to Succeed, uh, with, you know, How to Succeed in Business without really trying with Daniel Radcliffe and, uh, Rooms, A Rock Romance, which is a show that I produced off Broadway. It was my first New York commercial production, uh, needed to have an album, uh, that was produced during the, uh, stock market troubles of, you know, 2008, 2009. And, um, so it didn't last as long as we would have liked because it was such a challenging time. And so in order to preserve the show, um, you know, I, I led the effort to try to make sure an album happened. And that was one of my first experiences professionally uh, doing that, even though I knew quite a bit about it, both from my time at Syracuse and from, you know, work in the theater. And so those experiences, I really wanted to continue to do that and felt like if I were going to, to continue doing that, I needed to have some creative and, and business say on how that was done. And so I uh, it worked with my then partner, uh, Kenny Howard, to come up with a plan to start a label. And we were planning to start it uh, in April or May of uh, 2012. But then I was a producer on Bonnie and Clyde, uh, a musical on Broadway that didn't last as long as any of us would have liked. But we felt really passionately about the quality of of the work and and the, had a rabid base of fans, even though uh, it, didn't, it only ran two months in total. Um, so that circumstance led to the need for an album as well. There was a label originally uh, signed up to do it, but then when the show uh, closed prematurely and the reviews weren't as, as great as we would have hoped for, uh, I took the lead in, in doing a, a grassroots effort and raising the money to produce the album and ev- everyone involved with the show chipped in and, and really had a, you know, let's put on a show type of, uh, um, you know, feeling to it, which was really uh, heartwarming and wonderful to witness. And so everybody did their part to make sure it would happen. And I decided let's start the label a bit earlier ahead of schedule in order to uh, accommodate getting this album out there. And it worked really well in that uh, that album is still one of our best-selling albums. And 
everybody who gave of themselves to make sure it would happen for completely altruistic reasons. Nobody ever thought they would make money on the album, but they did it because they wanted it out there in the world and to preserve what they had done. Um, I'm happy to report that in a few years, it will actually turn a profit, uh, despite the fact that it came out after the show had already closed, uh, you know, and had been closed for about four months. So everybody who gave of themselves to make it happen will ultimately make uh, a profit on it and will receive checks for the rest of their lives um, from it, which is wonderful, um, especially, you know, when it happened for all the right reasons. And so that's kind of how it started. Uh, we were planning to start it anyway, but just rolled up the timeline or, you know, uh, made it a bit earlier in order to uh, make this particular album. And it really uh, was the spirit of the label, you know, to to try to preserve works that may or may not get the chance otherwise. And there are quite a few shows that we preserve that if we hadn't been there, probably wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, we just are really uh, thrilled with the impact that we've been able to have on the industry and be able to help those shows that needed, uh, you know, helping hand needed to be preserved in order to be done in other places. And it, it really does make a difference. And, you know, it's important to us to be a part of that. And, you know, we've now released uh, nearly 200 albums and, uh, are you know going strong with many more that are in the pipeline? Yeah, it, it's great, Van, to hear your your passion for again preserving for posterity's sake and for you know for the history for future generations a chance to hear these awesome performances from from Broadway. And uh, I want to transition real quick before our time is up here on the podcast to your philanthropic efforts with Broadway Records um, to give back. There were some, uh, obviously we have a crisis in this country when it comes to, to gun violence. And, you know, there's been so many school shootings, too many to count over the last decade, but your, your company has specifically been involved in holding benefit concerts. I know for, for Sandy Hook and, uh, and for the Florida school shootings, Marjorie Stoneman. Um, there's so many different great ways you guys have given back to these communities that are hurting and grieving, how do you feel those concerts that you held um, with your company, with Broadway Records, how did those serve a higher purpose in, in giving back to, again, a really grieving and wounded community? Uh, well, to me, like everyone after, you know, it all started with uh, Sandy Hook, but like everyone after that happened, it was a state of shock and disbelief. And it took me about 48 hours to come out of my, my stupor and try to figure out, well, what can I do? using, you know, my connections and my skills to try to make a difference for this community. I did grow up uh, 10 miles from Sandy Hook and I felt, uh, it felt like it was in my backyard. And even though I didn't really know anyone at that time, although now consider them, uh, you know, the community, my, my family, my extended family. Um, but back then I didn't really know anybody yet, but it felt so close and so personal that I wanted to do something. So I used my connections through, uh, producing, uh, shows and, and albums to, kind of band the Broadway community together. And it was at the time, I think uh, one of the biggest efforts to bring the Broadway community to another community. We literally did it 20 minutes from, from Newtown um, in a theater in Waterbury, Connecticut. Uh, we didn't want it right in the community because they were overwhelmed with news media, et cetera. So we wanted it close enough that anybody who wanted to go could attend, but not get in the way of everything they were dealing with. Um, so we brought, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people from the Broadway community together um, to, you know, give whatever talents they had behind the scenes or on stage uh, to take part in this. And we had 100 Broadway stars. We had a 40-piece orchestra and, and did everything we could uh, to put on a show to uh, honor uh, those who were lost and also try to 
give some respite to to those who were dealing with so much and and just try to give them a night away from it, but also to show our deep respect and love for for the community and our support. And everyone from Sesame Street took part, and they even uh, spent an hour before the show with uh, the families who were uh, most impacted and who had other young kids and spent an hour privately with them. And, uh, you know, we find that the arts can be so healing in, in difficult times and uh, this was definitely no exception, but as powerful as that one night was, and we repeated it again for Pulse and uh, Parkrun, but each time creating a, you know, a new show with uh, different performers and different people involved, you know, specifically tailored to each community and, and the needs of that community. Uh, in the case of Sandy Hook, we used that as a launching pad, um, which inspired the creation of an organization called New Arts, which uh, to this day has uh, produced over 13 shows uh one or two every summer using, uh, you know, the Broadway community in conjunction with uh, Newtown uh, community and the surrounding communities uh, to put on shows uh, and to use team building and creative uh, collaboration uh, with, you know, the kids and, the, and adults in the community to really try to help inspire them. And and I find that when you have a tragedy like this, bringing people together in a creative way, kids of all ages working together in a common creative purpose really does have a healing component to it and really helps them um, focus on something more positive and, and really work together in a creative purpose. And it's definitely made a difference for a lot of people having that creative outlet. And we've had so many people, you know, described, you know, what the difference it's made in their lives. And to me, that's been the most rewarding thing that's come out of my career is being able to give back in that way. And uh, we've done it differently in different communities in Parkland, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work there and helped, uh, in every way we can. So it's, it's just been a part of the, the philanthropic work, although one of the, the most, uh, uh, prevalent and, and meaningful things that I've done, you know, being involved in those, uh, those projects and, and those communities trying to get back in any way we can. The arts definitely have a powerful and a healing impact and effect uh, during good times and in bad. And Van, it's really inspirational to hear, you know, what efforts, you know, you and Broadway Records and the Broadway community have come together. I love that effort, too, of really coming together uh, and to produce these shows, you know, with Broadway superstars alongside, you know, members and residents of, of Newtown. That is an awesome project out there. We were so proud, Van, of the work that you are doing to advance the arts, to be philanthropically uh, engaged and to make your community a better place. And I really want to say thank you so much for coming on the Cuse Conversations podcast today to share your orange success story. It was a pleasure uh, talking with you and we wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Thank you so much and stay uh, healthy and safe and you know, my best wishes to you and, and to everyone at the university. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. Mm-hmm.